Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 133. I'm Killian Vigna. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by Anthony Whitaker, multi award winning stylist turned educator, motivator, business coach, and best selling author for a conversation around opening a second salon and spa location. So grab yourself a cup of coffee, sit back, relax, and join us weekly for all your salon's business and marketing needs. Good morning, Zoe. Morning, Killian. So this episode, we have been talking about this topic for ages and unfortunately have not been able to discuss it until today. It's taken us 133 episodes. This is kind of crazy. Isn't it just? <laughs> like, I think there was a blog on it a long time ago. It was just a real yep. short one, but it's always been something we've wanted to delve into, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. And we had conversations with uh, with some people who had opened a second location, unfortunately, uh, never managed to get them on the podcast. Yeah, I mean, like, look, uh, at Forest, our motto has always been, we help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and more recently we've added, uh, and generating referrals. So while we don't necessarily help salons get their business started up and off the ground, our focus is more on kind of helping them grow. So with that in mind, based on showing you how to kind of retain your clients for longer, we've decided to keep this episode for the right person and we feel it was Anthony Whitaker. So welcome to the show, Anthony. It's great to be here. Thank you very much for the invitation. No worries at all. And I believe you've actually, this is kind of like a cross uh, platform thing for you because you are kind of only just recently off the phone with our own CEO doing a podcast of your own. Is that right? Exactly. I had the real pleasure yesterday of having a, a very in-depth conversation uh, with Ronan. And uh, it was great to find out more about uh, Forrest and, you know, what your background is and where you're going. And, you know, just getting an insight into your world, it was it was uh, great. And just off the back of that then, where you were kind of discovering the background behind Forrest, uh, I think we'll probably kick the show off with uh, just getting a little background information about yourself you were actually a multi-branch salon owner and while you're based in the UK, your journey started much further away. Am I right? You are right. I, I started hairdressing a long time ago. Sometimes I'm almost embarrassed to say what year it was. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, 1978 was when I started hairdressing. So um, yeah, a long time ago. Uh, I started in New Zealand. I was there for two years and then I moved from New Zealand to London in 1980. And I was in London from 1980 until 1990 at the Sassoon organization. And then I left Sassoon and I emigrated from London to Sydney in Australia. And it was in Sydney where I opened up my own uh, salon. And uh, eventually I had three salons and uh, one of them doubled up as a school. So, you know, at the peak, it was a a reasonable sized business, you know, three salons, one of them was a part time school. And we peaked at about 50 staff between those three locations. So how long did you have your own salon before you decided it was time to set up a second location? Was this and also was this like set up as a branch? Or was it a second location kind of separate to the first one? Well, it happened very quickly. Um, Was probably two years after my first salon. Uh, I opened the second one and I opened it for all the wrong reasons. I mean, I didn't intend to open it. I was offered it. So, you know, it was someone who had an existing business who contacted me. Uh, They were basically my competition um, in Sydney. And they said to me, look, you know, we basically they were getting divorced and, uh, you know, they wanted to get out of the industry. One of them wanted to leave the country, et cetera. And uh, they offered the salon to me. So, 
you know, it, it wasn't part of a great strategy. Uh, and in fact, I sort of said, look, I'm not interested. And, you know, they made the opportunity or the offer so tempting, I couldn't not be interested. Uh, so I, I got into a second salon, like a lot of people, for all the wrong reasons and at the wrong time and completely ill-prepared for, um, you know, what opening a second salon was all about. Uh, so, you know, like a lot of things, you jump in the deep end and, you know, you either learn and learn real quick or you don't survive. So um, it certainly wasn't an easy transition for me. I don't think it's an easy transition for anybody. Um, but it is a real sink or swim case. And, um, you know, like I say, you learn or you learn fast or you don't survive. Um, I learnt and I learnt fast. And, you know, we, we managed to, over time, you know, turn the business around and, um, you know, and grow it from there on in. But um, uh, there was certainly a steep learning curve during that process. You said that you were essentially approached. So I, I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into that. Like, how were you kind of feeling at the time in terms of emotional experience, stuff like that? Because like, how long did you say you had the first business before this opportunity came up? It was probably about two years and I hadn't thought about opening a second salon and, and, uh, and these people approached me, uh, they wanted to have a, a drink and a meeting. And I, to tell you the honest truth, I thought they wanted to do a show together. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then we, we sat down and they said, listen, the reason we've, you know, invited you out for a drink is, is that we're, we're wanting to sell our salon and we'd like you to buy it. Um, so I was completely blindsided by it. And, uh, you know, I said, I'm not interested. And, and, uh, and they said, no, we, we really want you to be the person. And I said, well, I can't afford it. And they said, well, look, you know, we will make it so easy for you to afford um, that, you know, it would be too good to, to walk away from. So basically, I didn't even put any money down. I paid the business off uh, over a period of 12 months out of the salon's profits. So it was a very unusual segue into opening a second salon. Uh, but I will often say to people when we talk about this whole thing about second salons is that sometimes opportunity presents itself and you have to grab it with both hands. And, um, uh, and that's a risky strategy to take. But, but you know, uh, uh, other people will, will build a business and go, right, when I've got it to this point, then I'm going to open a second salon. Well, you know, sometimes the right location or the right people, the right opportunities are just not there when you're ready. So sometimes when an opportunity presents itself, you need to sometimes jump in and make it work. So that's what I did, but it certainly wasn't without risk. And I certainly learnt a lot of things that you should or shouldn't do in the process of opening second salons. If you were offered this again, would you go with it again? Well, the fundamental difference is this, is that if you've got one salon and you decide to open a second, then you are in control of the, the new uh, culture that you're establishing. Because mm -hmm. let's assume you start off with, a, with an empty shell. You take a lease on a shop, you fit it out, and you start to employ people, and it's your culture. Whereas when you buy an existing business, you're buying an existing culture. And um, uh, by virtue of the fact that the business has been sold, usually the staff that are there don't know that the business is being sold. So once the business has been sold, they often feel betrayed. And so they've got their backs up anyway. And then you walk in the door as the new owner. And no matter how nice you try and be about it, you're the newbie. They're the ones that have been there forever. You're the newbie. And inevitably, 
you're going to want to, uh, in time, change the culture to suit the sort of business that you have in mind. And you're going to get a lot of resistance and pushback from the people that are there. And um, that is where all the trouble comes with uh, buying an existing salon. Obviously, there's an upside of buying an existing salon in that, you know, it's already fitted out. You've got all the plumbing and the electrics and, you know, you, you, you've got the, uh, the infrastructure of a salon there, which can be a good thing. And you've probably got a client base and some people that work there as well. So there's an upside to it, but the downside can be considerable. So it's, it's very much buyer beware because when you buy an existing business, as I say, often the staff feel betrayed. The clients have a relationship with the hairdressers that are there, not with you, the owner. And, you know, if you do buy an existing business, be very careful about not paying too much for it because, you know, there's always a lot of value attached to the goodwill component in buying a new business. But that goodwill can and often does walk straight out the door as soon as a new owner comes in. So, you know, it's, there's lots of lessons to be had in that. Uh, whereas if you are starting a second business from scratch, you're totally in control of transferring the existing culture you've got into a new location and, and replicating the brand and the brand values. So in some ways that's easier, but then obviously other ways it's harder because you've got to find staff, you've got to build up a client base, etc. So, you know, it's not a case of one way being the right way and the other way being the wrong way. Both of them can be fraught with challenges. And, um, you know, it, it's not something that any uh, salon owners should take on lightly that idea of expanding. I've got so many questions now to ask that I'm, I'm going to try and like paste them. But the company that you uh, or the salon that you took over, did you change the branding of the company you purchased to match the one you already had? Or did you treat that other business as a separate salon business, as, as its own entity? Were you just going, right, I'm going to take over the business and manage it for a while here, or I'm going to take over the business? but it's going to be replicated from the one I currently have? That's a very good question. I mean, um, I, uh, when I took over the second business, I immediately changed the name of it so that, you know, the salon was called Anthony Whitaker Hairdressing up the road, so I rebranded this one also Anthony Whitaker Hairdressing. Um, I didn't change literally anything else. It had a great decor, et cetera, about it. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of other things that needed changing. A lot of the value or a lot of the reason behind expanding and opening, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth salons or whatever, is the advantage of scale that, you know, in terms of advertising, for example, you're advertising one brand. So if you if you keep the the second salon as its original identity, then you're not able to capitalize as easy on those marketing opportunities. And all those things add up, whether you're talking about, you know, business cards or sign writing or advertising, you know, or letterhead, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, everything then is having a, a separate identity. And so in a lot of ways, when you do that, there's obviously an upside to that. Uh, in a lot of ways, when you do that, you're not capitalizing on the advantages of expanding. Um, so I, I generally speaking, um, think that you're better as a generalization, I can certainly, as I'm saying, the sink of reasons when you wouldn't do it. Um, but as a generalization, I, I think that if you're building a brand, you should start to name everything the same and the decor should look the same and the culture and the, you know, the brand values should be the same from salon to salon. As I say, there are examples where you may not want to do that, you know, from a business perspective. Um, 
I suppose that the best example would be, uh, I, I know someone, for example, who owns several salons in one shopping mall. Um, he owns six salons in one mall. Now, they've all got different brands. So, uh, but they're also aimed at different target markets and they also have different price points and they have different products in them, etc. So from a consumer's point of view, you're not aware that you're essentially going to the same business. You know, so from the guy, from the owner's point of view, I can understand why he's done that. He's pretty much bought all his competition in the, in the mall. You're getting your hair cut in one of his salons, whether you like it or not. You know, uh, whereas if they all had the same name, that would be complete overkill in this particular mall or any mall. So, you know, there might be advantages where you'd uh, want to keep them separate. Like, for example, as I say, if you're if you're aiming for a completely different target market at a different price point. But in my case, this particular salon was very much my competition. We were after the same staff. We were after the same clients. So it made a lot of uh, sense to me to give them the same branding and the same identity as much as possible. And what about if you were to, like you said, open your second location and have more control on that? What's the financial picture supposed to look like before you know that you're ready to do that? Well, you know, the classic mistake that, that you see salon owners make everywhere with opening a second salon is that they have one salon that's successful. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's making money. And they're usually behind the chair and it's making money and it's successful. And they think, well, I've got the Midas touch. I've got one that's working. There's, you know, money, you know, being generated and I'm driving a nice car, I'm living a nice life and, and there's a profit and, at the end of the day. Um, so uh, if I can do that with one, then surely I can do it with two. So they go off and open a second salon. Now, what, what was said to me once, and I often reflect back on this, is that Going from one salon to two salons is the only time your business doubles. Think about it. It never doubles again. When you've got two, you don't go from two to four. You go from two to three. You go from three to four, four to five. It only doubles once. And that's when you go from one to two. And most people completely underestimate that the, the business that they've got, the original business is successful because of them that they are the system, they are the, you know, the person, that they are the culture, they are what holds it all together. And when they open a second salon, they might be ready financially in that the first salon is profitable and making money. But so often what you'll find happening is when they open the second salon that they sort of end up with two half salons, you know, their, their, their overhead has increased dramatically, uh, it's doubled. Uh, the owner is now split between two locations, trying to run back and forward and make both of them work. And the culture in both of those salons suffer. And typically, the numbers suffer as well. So you will see a lot of people go from one salon to two. They'll try and make the second one work. And whether it takes two years, three years or five years, they'll often go back to one salon again because they've underestimated what the things are that you need to do in order to expand and expand successfully. And would you consider one of those things to do being getting out from behind the chair before opening a second location? Yeah, it, it I hate this answer, but it depends. Um, and, it, and it very much does depend. Um, 
it depends on on what sort of infrastructure you've set up around you. So, for example, you know, sometimes that person is a very high profile hairdresser. They're, a, you know, a bit of a celebrity hairdresser. They're very marketable themselves. They've got a great clientele, um, etc. So they are the business and often their name is on the door. Um, and that sort of is a reflection of pretty much the situation that I was in. So in other words, I was the magnet to bring clients into the salon. I was the magnet to attract staff. I was the, you know, the guy, I mean, this sounds a little bit egotistical, but I was the guy that was winning the awards, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, my selling point was me, the hairdresser. So for me to stop being the hairdresser, I was sort of shooting the business in the foot a little bit. Um, so if you decide that your skill set and the business model that you have revolves around you as an individual, that, uh, and so you want to stay behind the chair, that's fine. Absolutely no problem with that at all, as long as you put other people in place that will look after the other areas in the business. So, you know, essentially you need, if you've got two salons, you need two managers, you know, salons don't manage themselves. People don't manage themselves. And if you're behind a chair doing a column of clients all the time and running about doing, you know, photo shoots, et cetera, don't think that that salon is going to work, you know, effectively. So, you know, you need to put people in place if you're going to be the front guy or girl uh, doing hair who are going to be the managers, going to be the administrators, going to deal with all the back end you know, people stuff and, you know, all that logistical stuff with, with, with payroll and inventory management, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, there are some people that decide that they want to expand and they want to extract themselves from doing clients and nothing wrong with that. They want to work on the business, not in the business. Often the business is not named after them. So they can sort of disappear a little bit into the background and they can be focused more on developing the business from a business perspective. And so there's not really a right and a wrong here. It's really, well, what's right and wrong for the individual that you've got in question? That is interesting because while in your head you're thinking, right, I'm going to set up a, a second location, you're the star of the show, it's your name above the salon, people are coming to see you, but you still have that little bit of time to work on that sole independent business. Now setting up your second location, a manager is a role you probably would never really thought of having to hire before that. You would have hired skill sets like stylists, beauticians, wh whoever it is you need in your salon, but you probably, a manager probably never crossed your mind while you were dealing with the sole salon. Did you have to dilute your time moving into the second business or did you know straight away, I need a manager? I, I knew straight away that I needed managers in, in every location. Um, because, you know, particularly in my case, I mean, I was, I, I was behind the chair a lot, but I was also traveling a lot. So I was doing a lot of education, a lot of photographic work, a lot of shows, a lot of seminars. And if you don't have managers and management structure and management systems in place, then that just simply isn't going to work, you know? So, um, and, and a lot of, you know, uh, uh, you know, the, the essence of this podcast is, is, is about expansion and what are the things that you need to do? Well, the key word, if you wanted to give one word, is the word system. You know, it's when you've got one salon, you are the system. Everything goes through you. Every question, every answer, the culture is established by your mere presence. As soon as you want to replicate a salon, you, you can't do that. You, you can only be in one place at a time. So for it to run effectively, you need to develop the systems to make it run without you. So, you know, the business isn't isn't successful 
you know, because of you it, it, being in there behind the chair all the time, it's successful because of the systems that you have in place. Like, you know, for example, I, I, in one of my seminars, I use this analogy. Um, there are over 30,000 McDonald's in the world. So here's the question. Is there really 30,000 McDonald's? Or is there one McDonald's 30,000 times? One McDonald's 30,000 times, yeah. Yeah? Or, or you know... If, if you, if you don't want to use the McDonald's analogy, because a lot of hairdressers go, yeah, but we're not hamburgers, we're, we're, we're above that. <laughs> use, the, use the Apple store. You know, there are, over, there are over 700 Apple stores at the moment. Is there really? Or is there one Apple store 700 times? All you need to do is go into an Apple store to know the answer to that question. So why are they able to expand? You know, they're able to expand because they have systems in place that are replicable and they can just open it again and again and again and again. And that applies to any business that you see that's successful. They're successful because they're system dependent, not people dependent. The people will come and the people will go. You know, if you look at McDonald's as an example, you know, they have over 100% staff turnover in a year. But no matter where you go to a McDonald's, whether it's in, you know, Toronto or Dublin or, or, or London or, you know, Sydney, essentially it's the same business. Why? Because it's system dependent, not people dependent. And your clients want to have the same experience. And no matter what Anthony Whitaker's they walk into, they want that same experience. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, when you look at some really successful hairdressing brands, I mean, take Tony and Guy as an example. I've never worked for Tony and Guy. I don't have any affiliation with them, etc. But... You know, you have to admit that they are a very successful business. I mean, you know, they've got 470 or something uh, uh, salons around the world. Obviously, haircuts are not hamburgers and there is more uh, interpretation in, in haircuts. But essentially, it is a franchised business, which is a system that is replicable so that you can open not just one or two or five or ten. You can open 475 and growing. Yeah. So it's all about the system, establishing the culture and establishing the systems that run that business so that it's not people dependent, it's system dependent. Was there any other thing that you noticed management wise that was completely different and you had to adjust to with that second location? Um, the importance of numbers and the importance of reports. And again, these are systems, you know, that... I think a lot of salon owners, like you could say to a salon owner, so what percentage of your clients have color? And they'll just drop a number off the top of their head. They'll go, oh, you know, 40% of our clients have color. Now, it's not, often not based on any fact, but you, you, you get them to go into the computer and have a look, and it's 43% or it's 38%. You know what I mean? They have a pretty good handle on what's going on in their business, often because there's one salon and they're there 50 hours a week. They know what's going on, Yeah. Uh, without necessarily the hard data in front of them. When you've got multiple salons, even two, you need to have reports. You know, you need to have reports that you can, um, you know, dip in and out of um, at any time you want. It, you know, whether it's a daily report, a weekly report, or, you know, a live report that you can sort of see what's going on in that salon. That the importance of numbers and the importance of tracking those numbers, not necessarily a lot of them, but, you know, tracking three or four key performance indicators so that you know is what's going on in that business. As soon as you get into a second salon, I think that that becomes essential because it's no longer about having a gut feeling because you can't be in both of them at the same time. 
Would you say retention then becomes one of the biggest uh, key performance indicators to look at? Uh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, uh, of, often uh, one of the seminars I do is on marketing. And at the beginning of the seminar, I say to people, OK, what would you like to get out of today? And pretty much every time I ask that question, the most common answer is how to get more clients. And, you know, I, I am very quick to say, OK, marketing is about three things. Yes, it's about how to get more clients. OK, but it's how to get more clients. Number one, how to turn them into regulars. Number two, and how to keep them as long as possible. And that's what retention's all about. If your business model is based on a constant flow of new clients coming through that front door, you've got a problem, you know? And in our industry, successful salons are salons and successful hairdressers are hairdressers that have good retention rates. That brings me on to kind of one of my final questions, Dan. You're saying you're always asked, how do I acquire new customers? You set up your second location by acquiring a business which I assume already had its client book that came with that. When you went on to your third salon, you probably never had any existing clients going to the third location. How did you go about building that business, generating clients? Um, that's where, for example, sharing that um, brand identity comes in. You know, that once you've got an established brand name where I had two salons and then you open a third one, um, you know, people knew about the brand, but obviously the three salons were geographically in different locations. And no matter how big time you might think you are, you know, essentially the majority of your clients will come to you because you're geographically, you know, convenient for them to get to. So, you know, I had um, brand awareness in my case in Sydney, you know, where my salons were. So when I opened the third salon, um, it was, you know, it got busy very quickly uh, because there was already brand awareness, but not necessarily a location that was geographically convenient for potential clients to come to. Um, so, yeah, I hope that answers that question, Killian. It's, uh, um, you can come at it from different ways. Yeah, no, it does, because like you said, again, it comes back to the brand. So while that ball is rolling, it's constantly getting bigger and bigger. So you built a brand with the first salon, you tested the waters with the second one, it got that little bit bigger. By the time you were ready to have a third one, there was a lot of people already familiar with Anthony Whitaker's. Yes. So I think having a strong brand was probably one of the driving forces behind the success of the third location. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and I think that, you know, if you've got two locations working well, it's so much easier to get a third one working well. Because if you've got two working well, it means you've got some systems in place. And that's what it's all about. It's about once you, you know, it's, once you've got the systems in place in every area, whether you're talking about, you know, staff training, financial management, marketing systems, um, you know, all the management systems, inventory management, et cetera, et cetera. Once you've got those systems in place, then it becomes, I'm not going to say easy because it's not easy, but it becomes easier to open a third, a fourth, a fifth, a sixth, you know, business doubling your business is probably going to be the hardest stage. But then from then on, it's it's not so hard. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that. I genuinely do, that going from one to two is the only time you'll double the size of your business. And, uh, and if you can make that second one work, then going from two to three is much easier. Three to four, much easier, you know, because you've proven that, that you understand that concept that, um, you know, you, you've built a business model that can be replicated without you having to be there because you can only be in one place. Yeah. 
I wanted to touch upon the culture aspect before we wrapped up today's conversation. Um, you said when you got that second location, when you bought that business, it already came with a culture and it makes 100% sense. But obviously, as you build out and you rebrand the second location, you're going to be spending less time in the first one. How did people react to that in the first location? And then also, how did you manage to bring both cultures to a point where it was Anthony Whitaker's culture in both locations? Okay, that's a really good question. And I think the best way to answer it, first of all, is to talk about, well, what is culture? Because every salon has a culture. Like every country has a culture, every business has a culture. And a lot of salon owners don't recognize the value of the culture that they've created because it's just happened. And that's actually the thing, is that every business has a culture. The only question is, is it a culture that you developed or is it a culture that's just happened? Yeah. And if it's just happened then part of what's happened is it's the culture that has become what's easiest and best for the people who work there. And that is not necessarily what's easiest or best for the business. So I've got one salon. It's got a culture and that was representative of me that hadn't really been designed. But because I was there from the minute the door opened to the minute the door closed, the culture was me, my standards, my values, my way of doing things. And you know, so, and I managed that culture. Then I go and take over another business, which has got different people in it. It's got different decor in it. They play different music in it. They have different values, different levels of professionalism, et cetera, et cetera. And that is culture. And so I walk in the door and the way they do things and the way I want things done are very different. So I'm now trying to change that culture to morph it into one thing. So you know, without airing too much of my dirty laundry in public, you know, I, I took um, I took some of my good people from my existing salon. I took two of them and I put them into the new salon, um, thinking that they would have a positive influence on the culture there. What it actually did was it did the opposite, is it, it turned my two people that I'd bought from my original salon, it turned them into this other monster for want of a better word you know um it, it wasn't the culture that i wanted to to have um i think that when you buy an existing business that has an existing culture you can do what i did which is go in and very gently try and change it and bring in people and bit by bit um you know try and morph the two businesses together um but as I said at the beginning of this, the people that are there are very distrustful of you because you're the newbie and they will often be very um, resistant to any changes that you make. So you're trying to build trust and rapport and empathy with them and bit by bit change it into what you need it to be. Uh, sometimes that will work. It all depends on the people in question. Other times, the best way to do it is arguably to fire everyone and then offer to re-employ them. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, that sounds brutal, but sometimes the other way to do it is to go, okay, that was then, this is now. Um, that's how it was. And, you know, uh, but this is now how it is. I own the business and this is how I do things. Bang, bang and bang. I really want you to be part of that team. I really want you to stay, but I totally understand it 
if you don't want to. Um, you know, so and then make people literally reapply for their jobs so that you're in control of the culture again. Um, is that an easy thing to do? No. Is that something that is also going to be met with a lot of uh, resistance and negativity? Yes, quite possibly. You know, so it, it's it's a difficult thing to manage that transition. There is no blueprint that if you do this, this and this, um, you know, you'll be fine. It's it's about having as broad a w- an awareness and understanding as possible uh, of the people that you're taking on. And um, and obviously money comes into it because, you know, you do risk if you do that. So imagine I'd gone in there and said, OK, I'm firing everybody uh, and I'm offering to reemploy you back straight away. But under a new contract, new terms of agreement, this is how we do things here, you know, from here on in. What you do risk is they all leave. So, you know, if you've got very deep pockets, you might be happy for them all to leave. Uh, most people could not take that risk. So most people are going to try and uh, mold the people there bit by bit into the people and the culture that they want to have. And they will manage that with varying degrees of success. I found the, um, I suppose, the fire and rehire really interesting because you will always be met with resistance if like that is someone coming from a whole different culture and it's, well, this is how we always did it. Who is this person and why should we change to do yours? But by doing the fire and hiring, you're nearly getting their investment or absolute commitment that they are going to now go along with your culture change. While you're saying it's probably not the easiest method or the best method, I, I would imagine it's quite effective. It, it, it can be. It, again, it goes back to the worst answer in the world, which is it depends. You know, it just <laughs> depends on the people and the situation that you've got in front of you. So, you know, you need to be flexible as to how you, you know, if there's one thing I've learned over the years, it's like, yes, you can have systems and structure in place. But at the end of the day, um, you have to be able to think on your feet. You have to have a degree of flexibility um, and you have to recognize that we're very much in the people business. Our product is our people, you know, and to run a successful salon, you want to build a good team and you want to build a good culture. And to do that, you have to have good trust and rapport. And, you know, one of the things that, that I often see in really successful salons is the, the thing that sets them apart, that makes them successful, is the level of engagement between management and you know, the team. Um, it's that level of engagement, that, that building of trust and rapport and communication uh, in every way, at a professional level and at a personal level. You know, they're the businesses that are strong and successful. Um, and, and there's just no getting away from that. It's, it's having that level of engagement. And, and this goes back to that thing we spoke about when, when you're expanding. If you expand, you've got two or three salons, you have to recognize and understand that the relationships will change. Because, you know, when I opened my first salon, there was me and two other people. Um, so we used to hang out together, we'd socialize together, blah, blah, blah. Uh, very quickly, that business expanded to 12 people, then 15 people. And then, you know, you start to realize that, hang on, this isn't, isn't you know, the same sort of relationship that you have with 15 or 20 or 30 or 50 people that you have when you've got half a dozen people. So, you know, that's another thing that you have to bear in mind as you grow and expand that the relationships that you have with people um, have to change or will change as a result and, and can leave a void. 
So, you know, you've got to make sure that that's one of the reasons you're putting other managers in place, because you can only be in one place at a time. And part of that manager's role is to build those relationships with the team members that they've got in the salon around them. Because you used to do it when there was one salon. You had that uh, that relationship, that, that level of communication. You're now no longer there, and that leaves a void. So you've got to make sure that someone else is there doing that nurturing role that a good salon owner or a good manager is going to do, especially in our industry, because it is a very emotionally driven industry. And, um, you know, people need to feel cared for and they need that level of engagement, uh, you know, from a a leader. Okay, I, I, I consciously use that word leader over manager. They need a leader. They need someone to, you know, that they trust someone who's got a vision and someone who, you know, they want to hitch their wagon to, so to speak. Someone to follow and not stand over your shoulder. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, good way of putting it. Well, Anthony, I don't think we could get you to summarise this episode any better. So I think on that note, it's probably time to say thanks very much for joining us on the show. Um, For people listening, Anthony, you have a podcast of your own, Grow My Salon Business. It's called, um, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they go about that? Uh, well, my website is uh, growmysalonbusiness.com, um, uh, Facebook and, and Instagram. It's at growmysalonbusiness. Uh, so, yeah, you know, any, any of those mediums on my website, you can sign up there for the podcast or if you go to any, you know, podcasting apps, whether it's on the iTunes store or Stitcher or whatever, uh, the Grow My Salon Business podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm, e- I'm easy to find. So, uh Thank you very much, guys. I've really enjoyed talking to you two today. So, uh, and I look forward to doing it again sometime. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. Cheers. Anytime. When you're running a salon or a spa, a hunch isn't good enough. That's why Forest Salon Software provides you with a comprehensive reporting suite and analytics, giving you the freedom and flexibility to make the decisions that matter. Manage, market, and grow your business with Forest Salon Software, a premium cloud-based salon software system for three-plus employees. Visit forest.com for more details. So that was Anthony Whitaker talking about when you should open a second location, or if it's anything to go by in his journey, when it's time to acquire another business, whether you're kind of put on the spot or not. <laughs> and you know what, like the last few bits of the conversation with him, you know, around the culture and firing and hiring, it just reminded me of my favorite movie, <laughs> Coach Carter, and I'm sure you've seen it before. Ah, it's a great film. I know, yeah. In- inspirational, right? But you remember that scene where Coach Carter gets that new team and he goes into the gym and everybody's fooling around and messing around and no one's really paying attention to him because he's a newbie and he gets them to line up passes around a contract and he's like this is the way the things are going to go now if you're not happy you leave the doors right there and he did get a lot of resistance loads of them just left like one of them left and throughout the, the first couple of practices, he didn't want anything to do with the team and he was just messing around with the guys who actually stayed. But then he turned around at some point and missed it and came back. Eventually, they became a family. And that's how he managed to turn the culture around, which is kind of mad because that's essentially what Anthony was describing there with the fire and rehire. And speaking of communities, it's probably time to kick off the second part of the show, the Inside Forest segment, by announcing our Forest Academy community. 
So Forest Academy is your one-stop education shop. It's an online learning portfolio where you can self-teach yourself how to use forests. There's different areas of product, and we've got interactive systems there. But there's also a community forum in Forest Academy, so you can actually chat to fellow salon owners or peers as well about different areas of the product. This is launched to all our US clients at the moment. However, if you're outside the US and you would be interested in getting yourself and your team set up with a Forest Academy account, just email forestacademyforest.com. And our most recent course that you can find there is the Salon Branded app. This is the new Salon Branded app that we've released here at Forest. And you can see that course there front and center with an interactive app that you can play with as well. And then you probably know by now, but we have the Salon Owners Summit Roadshow coming to Philadelphia on October 21st. So that's coming up real fast. If you haven't gotten your tickets yet, uh, there is still time to do that. The links are all in the show's notes as well. And you can check out the website for the full lineup announcement and uh, the presentation topics. Other than that, we have the Salon Owners Summit 2020, the flagship event in Dublin. And this is taking place in January uh, we have our third speaker announced and she's going to be speaking on the main stage, Jamie Dana. If you don't already know who Jamie Dana is, she's a hairstylist and an educator specializing in teaching hair and beauty professionals how to use Instagram to grow their businesses. In her session at the Salon Owners Summit, she'll be talking about how to empower your team uh, to want to share their work on Instagram while creating beautiful content that you can use for your salon page, how to create a cohesive and uniform brand with your Instagram page that showcases your team, and also how to to stand out from other salons in your area to help attract new clients and stylists to your business. Now, of course, we have more speakers that are going to be announced soon. So keep an eye out on the Salon Owner Summit website. That being said, the tickets are on sale. If you are a Forest client and you want to attend the Salon Owner Summit Dublin flagship event, you can request a callback. The roadshow, um, just a small note now that it's on the top of my head, the roadshow is open to both clients and non-clients. Uh, so that's the difference there between the two events of course and um, other than that we have the salon mentorship hub as always so if you're struggling with anything in the salon and you want help to see uh, something from a new or different perspective we've teamed up with industry coaches and consultants to help you do that all you have to do is head over to salonmentors.forest.com and book yourself in for a free 15 to 30 minute consultation on a topic of your choosing and well, that's all we got for this week, guys. So as always, if you want to share your thoughts on this episode or have any suggestions, send us an email at forestfm at forest.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We genuinely love feedback and are always looking for ways to improve the show. Otherwise, have a wonderful week and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z. Great music makes great moments. Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Forest FM, the Salon Owners podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. We help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.